Okay, I do have one funny thing this morning. I got this from Bill Johnson, I'll just admit, right off the bat. So if you listen to Bill all the time, you might have already heard it. But even if you already heard it, just give it a laugh anyway. Give it a, a laugh in faith. Okay, several animals are surrounding the manger with baby Jesus in the manger, and they begin to talk to one another. The camel says, I will bear him gifts. The donkey says, I will carry him. Fish, I will pay his taxes. Cow, I will quench his thirst. Dove, I will bless his baptism. Sheep, I will warm him. Duck, I will feed him. Pig, I will let him fill me with demons, then I'll jump off a cliff. And, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you got the bad end of the stick on that deal. <laughs> All right, thank you, Jesus. Father God, we just give you this time that we have together. God, I just ask for your anointing. Holy Spirit, direct my words. Just uh, change, course correct anything that needs to be corrected and changed or redirected. And God, we just pray that um, you're just speaking to us directly by the Holy Spirit. Just put your hands on your heart this morning. Just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me this morning. Yeah, we thank you, Lord. We give you this time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Well, today I want to talk to you about being rooted in the Lord. And this is part two Last week, we talked about being rooted in the Lord, and this is really a continuation of, of last week's message. God is taking us into the promised land, and this is the season to build. This is the season to put down roots like never before in the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. This season is a season where you really want to sink roots deep and ask the Lord, God, what is it that you have me building? What is the foundation that you want me to, to build in this season? There's a grace for breakthrough in this season, and but there's also a grace to just sink your roots deep into the Lord. We really do, like the song we were singing today, I'm trying to remember what it was, the last one, but it's like, Jesus, you're all we got. And it's, it's really the truth. It's like, Jesus is everything. And the more that we just give everything to him, the more that things become to begin to make sense and come into alignment in our life. We want him to be Lord of every part of our life. So God is taking us into the promised land. Um, last week, I talked about stepping into deeper levels of sonship and getting free from shame, guilt, and condemnation. So if you're going to walk into your promised land, we need to get set free of the, the uh, tools of the enemy of shame, guilt, and condemnation. These are his tools that he uses to keep you out of your destiny, out of your promised land. So this is what he will use against you. If you don't feel... Like you're worthy of the promise that God's given you, you won't walk into it. You won't contend for it. You won't expect it. Satan wants you on this hamster wheel in this performance mode where you're stuck trying to just be good enough instead of just boldly approaching the throne of grace and boldly walking into the promises that God's given you. Amen? How many know what I'm talking about? Shame and condemnation is not God's tools. Those are demons. God does not use demonic forces to help us. Amen? 
Last week I talked about godly meditation. And uh, how many know meditation started before Buddhism, started before New, New Age? Godly meditation actually started with, like the first time I see it in Scripture is with David. He talks about meditating in the Lord all the time. And so meditation is actually, the difference between Eastern meditation and and godly meditation is Eastern meditation says empty your mind. Godly meditation is filling your mind with God's thoughts. So when I say meditation, don't get worried. It's not, we're not doing new age. It's filling, it's simply filling your mind with God's thoughts, filling your mind with the testimonies of Jesus Christ. David talked about it so much in the Old Testament. In Psalm 1, he said that day and night he meditates on the Lord and in the word. Of the Lord. So day and night, we want the word to be our meditation. Another thing that David said is he meditates on what God is doing. How many know we want to meditate on what God is doing, not on what the enemy is doing? Our focus needs to be on what God is doing. What is heaven doing? We need to meditate. Uh, the, the last thing I talked about last week is we need to meditate on testimonies. Psalm 119.99, David says this, I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Think about that. He said, I have more insight than all my teachers because your testimonies are what I'm thinking about. Meditating on testimonies will actually increase your wisdom. How many want to grow in wisdom? Meditate on testimonies. Now, if this, is, this hit me this week. If meditating on testimonies brings wisdom, God's testimonies, what does meditating on what the enemy is doing and saying do to you? So meditating on testimonies brings wisdom. If we're meditating on what the enemy is doing, what does that do to us? If you struggle with a lot of fear and anxiety, then you need to take a look at what you're focusing on. I guarantee if, if you're someone that would say, like, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand, but if you're someone that's like, I really struggle with anxiety, I can, I can guarantee you, I can, I can sit down with you, I can point right back to what you're thinking about and what you're focusing on, and it's going to be the source of your anxiety. So the good news is we can actually control what we focus on. We actually can choose to focus on what God is doing, what his word says, and his testimonies, and it will change your emotions. I'm actually evidence of that. I used to live my life probably discouraged half the time. And when I started really meditating on what God was doing and meditating on the Lord and laughing at lies, I remember there was a place where I was like, hey, I feel like I'm only discouraged like 25% of the time now. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, that's progress. And now, really, I'm hardly ever discouraged because I've just changed my thought life to think about what God tells us to think about. If you don't know what to think about, read Philippians chapter 4. It says, these are the things to think about. The good, whatsoever things are good, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, noble, honorable. Think about these things. Think about testimonies. Amen. Let's take a laugh break. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, just a little recap of last week. I'm really excited to dive into what God has this week. And, and I, I'll just tell you right now, there's no way I'm going to get through all of it today. But uh, we'll see where we get.
Yeah. Your emotions don't tell you the truth. They just tell you the truth about what you believe. So your emotion is like a check engine light. It's like, check, check what your beliefs are right now. <laughs> and if you have fear and anxiety, it's tied to a belief. It tells you what you're believing. And this is not for condemnation. This is like, hey, pay att- your emotions are a gift from God. So pay attention when that check engine light comes on. What, what happened? Where did I lose my peace? Where did I lose my joy? What belief has entered in that I've partnered with that is not God's belief for me? Yeah. So we're talking about being rooted, and one of the main ways that we grow in the Lord and get rooted in Him is to focus on His words, His stories, His doings, and His testimonies. So today I want to talk about vision. I believe this is a parallel message to the one that I spoke last week, because when you have a vision from the Lord... A huge key in vision is keeping it in front of you and actually dreaming and meditating on the vision that God's given you. How many know your imagination was given to you by God so that you could picture God showing up in your life and take the vision that he's given you and put it in front of you and dream on what that's going to look like? If you have a vision in your life of health, and maybe you're, maybe you're not fully healthy and you have a vision of health, that's something you need to put in front of you and actually imagine what it's going to look like when it takes place. If you have a vision for a business, you need to put it in front of you and imagine what's going to happen. Imagine like you being, you're being successful, getting breakthrough, doors opening up for you. Whatever it is, whatever the vision is that God's given you, you need to actually put it in your imagination and let God imagine with God in that thing. Amen? The enemy wants to make the imagination his playground, but God gave you his imagination to imagine him showing up in your situation, in your life. This is good stuff. Habakkuk 2.2 says, Write down the vision and inscribe it clearly on tablets, or you you can write it on paper if you want. I don't know if we have any tablets anymore. Write it down, make it clear, so that the one who reads it may run. Keep your vision in front of you. Amen. So the enemy will try to give you thoughts that are contrary to the vision that God has for you. It was interesting. I had an experience a couple days ago, and I just had this thought that came in. And how many know that every thought that comes to your mind is not your thought? So I had this thought that came in, and I was like, whoa, where did this thought come from? And I was just like, Lord, I repent of this thought. And the Lord spoke to me and said, it's not even your thought. Just rebuke it. And so I was like, oh, Lord, I rebuke this thought. And one, one way to replace the thought is to change the channel. God, what do you want me thinking about? And I begin to meditate on scriptures, begin to meditate on destiny and vision and prophetic words. So we can't control the thoughts that come in, but we can control what we focus on. And we can change the channel when the enemy puts a thought in. And he will try to put thoughts in that war against your destiny, your vision. 
He will give you thoughts of things failing that God has promised you. My wife has a great story of um, when she was struggling with her heart issue, and she was starting to get healing and breakthrough. And she was asked to sing at the uh, Orpheum Theater. And she had a dream, and in the dream, she got up to play this piano and sing. And in the dream, she couldn't get her voice out, and she just had, like, this, this panic that came over her. And it was actually a, a dream from the enemy, a false prophetic dream. And she actually went to that theater that night, and when she sang, it was like heaven opened up. It was like glorious. It was like the power of God just hit this place. But the enemy knew that was going to happen, and he was trying to give a false prophetic dream to, to put fear and to scare her. So one of the ways you know if it's the enemy speaking to you is it, it will have fear attached to it. How many know God doesn't use fear? fear? Again, fear is a demon. The Bible says God's not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is from the enemy. So one of the ways, if you have a dream and the fruit of it is fear, it's not God. Even if God's given us plenty of warning dreams, but it never has fear attached to it. always has hope attached to it. It's like, hey, don't go down here. And, we, and you know, it has this hope attached to it that's like, God's going to protect you. I'm, I don't want you to go this direction. But it doesn't have a fear thing attached to it. I used to be terrified of, of speaking in front of people. And I, I would think about, I remember sitting in my old church and I'd look at my old pastor preaching. And I remember looking at him and, and the, I would have this thought, I could never do that. And I'd start to feel a physical manifestation, like I'd feel nauseous just thinking about it. Like, man, if I was standing there right now, I'd probably just throw up. <laughs> well, whose thoughts were those? They weren't God's. God knew what my destiny was, and the enemy was, was giving me these thoughts. And I'm, I don't, I don't want to go into my full testimony, but I had a radical deliverance where one, one day I was afraid to speak, and the next day I got delivered, and I actually was ready to speak right, after, right that, on that day, and I spoke at my church that weekend. For the, I think it was the first time I really spoke, and all the fear was gone, and it was like a radical, like, happen in a moment, done. Yeah, Jesus is good. So how do we know if it's God speaking to us? God always leads you in peace. Isaiah says so in Isaiah 55. It says, so my word, which goes forth from my mouth, will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. Verse 12, for you will go out with joy and be led in peace. The mountains and the hills will break into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So God sends his word to you. I love these two scriptures. God sends his word. He gives you his vision, and then he leads you in peace. So if you're not sure if a dream is from God or this vision that you have is from God, do you have peace with it? Or is it coming with anxiety and stress and fear? God doesn't lead you in fear. He doesn't lead you in shame. He doesn't lead you in condemnation. 
Psalm 37, 8 says this. It says, do not fret, just fear. So do not fret. It only leads to evil doing. So fear actually causes sin in our life. When we actually entertain fear, it actually can cause us to sin. If you have a thought that says, if you don't do this, something bad is going to happen to you. That is not God. That is the accuser. God doesn't lead you in fear. Do not fret. Do not fear. It only leads to evil doing. So one of the ways to sink our roots down deep is to receive and pursue the vision that God has for you. So what is vision? Vision is the ability to think about or plan the future. I like this. This is like straight out of like Webster's Dictionary. The ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. So yeah, with vision, we actually want to use our godly imagination and invite him into the imagination and partner with him in that. So I want to look at the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah. Is it Nehemiah or Nehemiah? Nee? I think Nee. We'll go with Nee. And I think we have it for the screens, but if, if you want to go uh, follow along in your Bible or in a digital version, we're going to be uh, chapter 1, and I'm reading from the New American Standard today. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. How many know what a cupbearer is? This was a, you ever seen that show, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? I, I like that show. I like Mike Rowe. But... This was a dirty job. Cupbearer was not a, it's not a job that you'd really, like, want to have. So one of the things that the cupbearer would do is he would sample all of the king's beverages. You're like, well, that's not so bad, right? But here's the catch. He had to make sure that they weren't poisoned or not. So if you weren't good at your job, you probably didn't live very long. <laughs> He was the cupbearer, so he actually had to make sure that the king, that somebody wasn't trying to poison the king. One of the things is he, his name actually means, uh, Nehemiah's name actually means comforter. So there is definitely representations in this story of the Holy Spirit. But also, him being a cupbearer, how many know Jesus took the poison for us? He took the poison for us. He, Jesus is our cupbearer. He took the poison so that we didn't have to. Let's read verse 1, Nehemiah 1.1. 1, 1. Now it happened in the month Chislev in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanai, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates burned with fire. So he's, Nehemiah is serving a king. He's not in Israel. He's in another country. Israel, this is one of the dark, dark times of, in Israel, and they haven't really had, that wall has been down for 70 years. So now a wall, especially back then, it wasn't just to make the city pretty. It was to protect the city, and if you didn't have a wall, it's like living in a bad neighborhood and having no doors and windows. 
So they were being severely taken advantage of. Um, the houses even that were there, it's like no, everybody left, but the people that were there were um, extremely oppressed. And they had had, this wall had been down for 70 years and they just had uh, people just come in and they would just pillage them anytime they wanted. So hard time for Israel. Many people scattered, including Nehemiah, who's not even Israel. in Israel. He's serving another king and he's the cupbearer. So verse 4, did we read verse 4? No, we didn't read verse 4, right? So Nehemiah hears this, and it says when he heard it, verse 4, I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. One of the things that sticks out to me that in that passage is Nehemiah, the first thing he did was mourned. Look at that. He says, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourned for days. Okay, men, I'm going to talk to the men for a second. Because men, we like to fix it. We like to, a problem comes, and we're like, oh, I know what to do with that problem. You fix it. But what did Nehemiah do? He actually felt the pain. He allowed himself to feel the devastation, the pain that his, his, uh, his, his brothers and sisters were going through. And he mourned. It's the very first thing he did. What's the second thing he did? He fasted and he prayed. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But the first thing he did was he mourned. Matthew 5, 4 says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There was a time period of a few years back where the Lord was teaching me to get in touch with actually my emotions. Most of the time, if you'd asked me like five or six years ago, like, what emotions did you feel today? I'd be like, I have no idea. <laughs> and I started realizing, oh, that's a problem. I should be feeling emotion. <laughs> like, and um, the Lord started to help me to actually feel things and to connect to emotion. And one of the things that the Lord spoke to me in that season, because I, I think as men, we, we can like see something or even something that's sad, but we're like, well, let's just fix it. How do we fix this? And I remember in this process of God retraining me how to connect to emotions, he, told, he spoke to me and he says this, Daniel, if you're not allowing yourself to mourn, you're not allowing yourself to be comforted. Because the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we don't want to skip that. So Nehemiah is troubled, and his heart is moved by this situation. And I, I want to ask you this morning, what moves your heart? Because this is side division. If you, if you don't know what God's vision is for your life, I want to ask you, what moves your heart? It may be the thing that's tied to your vision. So he was moved by this situation. And Nehemiah is about to get God's vision for Israel, and God's vision for what he's supposed to do. So let's drop down to verse 8, Nehemiah 1.8. It says, remember the word which you commanded your service. So this is Nehemiah, he's actually praying. This is his prayer. He's talking to God. He says, God, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, 
Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to call my name to dwell. So now let's look carefully at what, uh, how Nehemiah responded to bad news. And men especially, we need this. I think women are just more naturally good at doing these things. But men, we really need to focus on doing this. This is how he responded to bad news. Number one, he mourns. He didn't jump to fix-it mode. He allowed himself to feel the pain of what happened. Number two, he fasts and he prays. Number three, he reminds God of his word. Do you think God forgets his word? (laughs) What are we doing when we're reminding God of his word, when we're declaring his word? What are we really doing? We're reminding ourselves. And a, confident, a confidence arises up and it's like, God, you said. I think God loves that, by the way. When you're like, God, you said this. So this is what I choose to believe because you said it. So three, he reminds God of his word. This is like we love declarations. Remind God of, of his promises towards you. God, this is your promise to me and to my generation. And the last thing he does is he takes action. And this happens in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1. And it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid? Because the cupbearer's job was to reflect the king. So a cupbearer could be put to death, but from even having a frowny face. So he he was afraid that he was showing any emotion at all. So he says, what's going on? This this must be sadness of heart. So then I was afraid. Verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors, the provinces beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me to the officers of the army and horsemen. And then look at verse 10. When Sanballat and uh, the Hornite, the Horonite, And Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about it. It was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So there's a couple things here. The king gave Nehemiah two things. He gave him access to the places that he needed to go. In other words, God gives Nehemiah this vision. 
And he goes to the king, and the king gives him access. What's that? Open doors, favor, access to the places he needs to go. And he gives him provision for the vision that God gave him. When God gives you a vision, he will open up the doors. He will give you access to the places you need to get into. And he will give you the provision that you need for the vision that he's given you. Vision is so important. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Another translation says without a a vision, the people cast off restraint. In other words, it's a free-for-all. It's like, well, there's no vision, so nothing matters. Just do whatever you want. Vision is so important. You need a vision for your family. You need a vision for your children. You need a vision for your personal walk with God. What am I doing to, to grow in the Lord? And you need to receive vision from him because each person has a specific destiny that God wants to get you into. And this message is totally parallel with the promised land because this is a story about God giving vision to somebody so that they can move into the promised land that he's given them, into the promises, into the vision, and into the destiny that he has for them. And each person has a destiny in this room, but you need to get a vision from God. And when he gives you the vision, he will give you the provision that you need, and he'll open up the doors that need to be opened up. I mean, look at this. He, he was afraid of not even being able to keep his life. And he certainly didn't have access to the places he needed access to. He certainly didn't have these resources. But he, he went to the king, and the king gave him everything he needed to be successful. I want to tell you this morning, a lack of resources and a lack of open doors are not your problem. But if you don't have vision, that's a problem. The open doors, the, the resources, that's not your problem. But if you don't have a vision, that's your problem. Verse 10, when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard about this, they were very disturbed. I'm going to go about 10 more minutes and then we're going to just pray. And we're going to continue this next week. They were disturbed. When you start to step out into your destiny, you will disturb the enemy. Don't be surprised when there's resistance against the vision that God gave you. These guys didn't care about Nehemiah or or the Jews for that matter until the vision came. And they started to step out into vision Now they're upset. Now there's resistance. The enemy doesn't like when you start to move in what God has for you. So God starts to send people and resources from all over the place to help Nehemiah with the vision. And the closer that Nehemiah gets to finishing the wall, this is a really interesting story. And I want to challenge you this week. if if you already have like a Bible reading schedule, you know, you don't have to do this, but if you have extra time, read the book of Nehemiah this week. So I feel like it's so uh, pregnant for this season right now. And you see the enemy's anger get up like higher and higher and worse and worse, and he gets more and more agitated the deeper they go into this vision. 
Nehemiah 3. I, I love Nehemiah 3. You might be tempted to, to skip it, but don't skip it. It's an amazing chapter that details all the people who came to help. You might want to skip it just because it's, it just says, like, then this person came and they did this, and then this whole family came and they fixed this portion of the wall. Then a guy came who knew how to build gates and he did this. Then another person came and names everybody, gives the specific names of everybody who came to help. Then this family came and they repaired this part. Then this guy came and he did the windows and then he did another uh, 100 cubits past the windows. But it's, it's like I get encouraged when I read that chapter. It's like the vision came, and then all these people are just attracted to the vision. So I want to tell you that this morning is when you get the vision from God, it will attract people to you. People are attracted to vision. We're not attracted to fear. We're not attracted to lack. We're attracted to vision. And all these people, something rises up in them, and they, they see this vision, and they're drawn to it. And people from all over just come to help build this wall. What they couldn't do in 70 years, they end up doing in 52 days. Because this vision came. One man had a vision. And all of a sudden, all these people are attracted. God gives them the access. God gives them the resource. God gives him the people. And, and all these people come together to see this vision that God gave him come to pass. Vision is so important. We need to have a vision in our life. Let's go to Nehemiah 4. I really want to get to six, but it's probably going to be next week. Six is my favorite. <laughs> Verse one. Now it came about when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry, and he mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they, can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Verse 3, another guy joins in on the, on the accusation, on the slander. It says, now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break down their stone wall. When you start to step into your destiny, the naysayers will come out. So here are some typical lies. I remember I read this a few years ago, and the Lord showed me this. Here are some typical lies you will hear when you begin to step out. There was five, five accusations, five criticisms, five whatever. But here's, here's the five, and we're going to end after. We're going to talk about these five, and we're going to close this morning. Number one, first accusation, what are these feeble Jews doing? What's the enemy saying? Obviously, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, the Old Testament stories, when it, when it, shows people, like physical people, coming against the children of Israel, the people of God. It's a representation of what's happening in the spiritual realm for us. Like, these are the thoughts and lies and accusations of the enemy. Now, the enemy can get people to partner with them, but these are the thoughts and the lies of the enemy. 
What are these feeble Jews doing? What's the enemy saying? You're weak. You're not strong enough to do this. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? You think you can do this? You can't do this. You're weak. Lies of the enemy. Number second lie of the enemy. Are they going to restore it for themselves? What's he saying here? The accuser questions his motive. When you start to step out in destiny, the accuser will question your motive. Oh, you're just selfish. You're just all about yourself. You're trying to bring glory to your name. You're trying to blah, 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 blah. Are they going to restore it for themselves? The, the accuser questions their motives. Or are you just trying to promote yourself? You're selfish. How many know humility isn't thinking less of yourself? You know, there's a lot of great, like, one-liners about humility, a lot of great humility quotes, but this is, this is probably my favorite. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is actually stepping out into the call of God for your life. That's the most humble thing you can do, is say, here I am, Lord, send me. Humility can mask itself as guilt and shame. But guilt and shame will never give you access to what true humility does. Sometimes humility, you can feel, you know, it can be, feel like this guilt and shame and you think that's humility, but that doesn't give you access to what real humility actually does. Guilt and shame are tools of the enemy, but real humility gives you access to the kingdom. I love this scripture, James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Lie number three, can they offer sacrifices? What's being said here? That's like we're talking about like, like temple sacrifices. Can they, can they offer sacrifices? You're not spiritual enough. You haven't read your Bible enough. You haven't prayed enough. You can't do this. You're not ready. You're just not to a spiritual plane enough to where you can even handle this. You can't do this. Can they offer sacrifices? Fourth lie. Can they finish it in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? What, are, what is he saying here? You don't have the ability to accomplish the mission. You don't have the right schooling. You don't have the right education. You're not smart enough. You can't do it. You know, if God's called you to do something, you don't need the education. Just step out and do it. I'm not against education. I'm pro-education. <laughs> but if God's called you to do it, you don't need some people get in this place. I've seen this. Nobody here, of course, not you guys. You guys are amazing. But I've, I've seen this where God, somebody has a call from God and they're like, I can't do that. I need to go to Bible college. But if God has called you to do it, just step into it. God used 12 uneducated fishermen to change the world. I think he did it on purpose. <laughs> Because when they, I love those scriptures, when they were actually ministering and moving in the power of God, people were shocked and they're like, these are uneducated fishermen. This must be God. That's God moving through them because we know they're not that smart. 
Last, last one, then we're going to close. Last accusation of the enemy. Even if a fox were to jump on it, he would break their stone wall. What's the accusation? Even if you accomplish anything, it's going to be worthless and poor quality and it won't last. So these are the common lies. Again, look at this passage this week. These are the common lies that you will hear from the enemy when you start to step into your destiny. I don't want to focus on what the enemy's doing, but I do want to be aware of his plan against me because then I can detect it ahead of, ahead of time and I can be like, oh, no, that's, this is actually the enemy. It's good to know the lies of the enemy so that you can spot them quickly and you got a really good list here. I'll just end on this thought, Nehemiah, Nehemiah 4, 7. It says, now when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the wall of Jerusalem went on, so they're not even done, but they're just not stopped. They're continuing to go on. And that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. And I think they were more angry now because they had... They had accused them. All those accusations were right in front of Nehemiah, by the way. He heard. He was in earshot of all of those because he, he responds to them. He, like, he hears them, and he goes, God, listen to what they're saying. You know, when you read the Psalms, it's interesting because you hear David like, God, the bad guys are winning. <laughs> listen to what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. Listen to what they're saying. God, you got to do something. And this is, this is like, David's pretty raw. Some people call the psalm the, the like, blues of the Bible. <laughs> There's a lot of blues songs in those songs. Like, God, yeah, I need you to step in here. These people are speaking against me. They're moving against me. They're lying about me. And it appears like the enemy is winning, God. You need to do something. So I, I believe the enemy that said... <laughs> In verse 7, they were very angry. They're just getting amped up. When you stop listening to the lies of the enemy, it will infuriate him because he knows he's losing his influence over you. They were, their anger was getting amped up because they're like, we're even accusing him and mocking him and like, it's not working. They're still building. Jesus. Yeah, just close your eyes this morning. <laughs> Father, I just pray for every person here. God, that if they don't have a vision, that God, that you are implanting one in them. God, that they are going to seek you and that you are going to give vision in this season. God, I pray that as families, we'd have a vision for our family. I pray as married couples, we'd have a vision for our marriage. I, play, I pray, God, that we would have a vision for our finances. I pray that you give us vision for why we're here, why we're, why, what we were created and designed to do. And I bless every person here. God, I pray that we would be so quick to see the lies of the enemy.
that we'd be so quick to, to laugh at the lie. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just want to give an opportunity. If you're here this morning, you've never received Jesus. You know, Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, and he was truly our cupbearer. He took the poison for us. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. All of the sin of the world was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. Everything you've ever done wrong, past, present, future, was put on him. And when you say yes to Jesus, he takes all of your sin, all of your shame, and he imparts to you all of his righteousness. And you become the righteousness of God in Christ by faith. So when Jesus came and he, and he hung on that cross, he absorbed all of your sin, all of your shame. And we simply just say, yes, Jesus. And he didn't stay dead on the cross. He rose from the dead three days later, and he's alive. And he's here right now. And he's inviting you into relationship. So if you've never received Jesus this morning and you'd like to do that, would you just slip up your hand just so I can see it? Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus, you've never done that, just slip up your hand. Or if you'd like to rededicate your life. Thank you, Jesus. And also on live stream, if you'd like to give your life to Christ this morning, you've never done that. Or if you'd simply just like to rededicate, you can do that right now. So let's just say this prayer together. And I believe if, if, you're, if you're here or if you're on live stream and you've never done this and you want to receive Jesus today, you can do that right now. Just say this, Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he took the poison that was intended for me. Thank you that he gave me all of his righteousness and he took all of my sin. So Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you rose from the dead and I believe that you're here right now. Jesus, be my Lord. Be my Savior. I repent of my sins. Amen. If you said that on live stream or here, would you just let me know? I didn't see any hands raised, but would you just let me know? Or on live stream, just send us a message if you just received Jesus. Let's stand to our feet. I want to bless you guys as we go today. Thank you so much for being here. God is so good. There's exciting times coming. God is good. God is so good. So Jesus, I just bless every person within the sound of my voice and every family represented here, God. God, we just pray that we'd have an amazing week, God, pregnant with vision. And God, we just declare visions being birthed in this house, destinies being birthed in this house. Lord, we speak destiny over our children and vision over our children. And we just pray a protection around them, God, as they go into the schools this weekend or they go wherever they're to go, God. We just bless them, protect them, surround them with your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen.